Storytelling is an intrinsic part of the human experience, dating back thousands of years. Much of history as we know it is due to largely stories being passed down through generations. There is nothing quite as compelling as a story that keeps you on the edge of your seat. So how does that translate into the presentation space? We will learn in today's storytelling special episode of SAP Experts Podcast. As always, my name is Akshay Mola and I'm a Senior Business Development Specialist at SAP S4HANA Solution Management and Go-To-Market. And my guest today is none other than the Chief Storyteller himself, James Marland. James is the Global Vice President in the Center of Excellence for Procurement at SAP. After being first exposed to procurement as a consultant at SAP, he moved to the newly formed Ariba in 1998. With the acquisition of Ariba in 2012, he ended up back at SAP as a Vice President of Network Strategy, uniquely with experience of procurement from both companies. In his current role, he meets with procurement professionals to work with them on building the business case for SAP solutions. With the unofficial title of Chief Storyteller, he tries to make a storyteller out of everyone through social media, new hire onboarding, and mentoring. You'll see him passionately preaching the procurement story of SAP to each new hire through his preferred medium of a whiteboard. He also contributes to the SAP story on social media, blogs, and at events. Just don't expect to see him using PowerPoint. More on that on this episode of SAP Experts Podcast. Welcome, James. Thank you so much for joining us today at SAP Experts Podcast. Actually, it's great to join your podcast. So I'm really pleased that we can have this conversation today. Now, James, in your introduction, I mentioned that you have the unofficial title of being the chief storyteller. So can you tell our audience what that is all about? Yeah, so I, I gave myself this title of chief storyteller because I found that the way that we often communicate in the corporate world can be a, a little bit boring at times and doesn't yes. actually resonate with a lot of the audiences. And it's certainly true in these COVID times where we can't get in the room with people. And so we have to make our arguments, make our uh, uh, in, uh, gives, give information uh, through the rectangles on the screen. Um, so I've really tried to focus on well, what is it that makes information understandable uh, and makes people uh, really want to tell that story to somebody else. And I, I looked really about how stories have been used. So in, in all walks of life, let's face it, stories are communicate to, to uh, sorry, stories are used to communicate important truths. Uh, and I'm, I'm a father and certainly I read them to my children uh, let's face it, no child ever said, hey, dad, tell me some facts. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. When you when you know, when you look, you want to hear stories. And you know, we hear in the Bible, Jesus tells parables. Um, politicians use them. Advertisers use them. Um, but in business, we seem to shy away from it as being um, unprofessional or uh, too casual. Childish. Childish, yeah, exactly, um, or not true. Um, mm. And I, I want to challenge that as, quite frankly, if you have something important to say in life, the only way to communicate it is to wrap it up into the, the structure of a story. And so really, I have, I actually sometimes say on my little tagline, my goal in my company, SAP, is to create storytellers out of everyone. 
Wow. So your goal is to create a storyteller out of everyone. Now, James, that sounds like quite the Herculean task because some folks, I mean, I think some folks are natural storytellers, whereas everyone might not be. So how are we going to achieve that and that too in these uh, 20, 30 minute podcasts? Well, the good news is, is I believe actually we are all native storytellers. Mm. It's just a lot of us have forgotten about it. Um, so it's how we communicate as human beings, quite frankly. All societies value storytelling. Um, all societies, uh, even preliterate societies, gather around campfires and communicate deep truths through the flickering flames of a campfire. And those, those are how we learn important things in our lives, quite frankly, when parents sit down and tell us, I want to tell you a story about your grandmother, right? Or I want to tell you what happens in this situation. And so these are how we impart you know, deep truths. Um, so the other reason, well, that sounds great, James, but you're not actually a paid to be an entertainer. Uh, that is okay. true. Um, that's a career choice I didn't make. Um, but I, I work, you know, vaguely in, in sales. And so what I want to do is to help my people I work with to explain customer stories um, so that um, they get told effectively so that people understand what my company does and understand the benefit that my customers get from using the product or service that I have. And that's really the key to sales, quite frankly, is uh, you don't buy based on numbers or specifications. You buy because you think somebody like you has bought it. Let me ask you, um, I know we haven't traveled for a bit, but when you go to stay in a hotel, I mean, I'm sure you use TripAdvisor, right? Oh, absolutely. I use, I look at reviews. I look at Google reviews. Sometimes I look at two, three different areas to look at all the reviews to make sure I'm getting. The Do you have picture. an example of where the reviews really changed, whether you'd stayed or didn't stay in somewhere? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, James, by nature, I tend to be very frugal. I like cheap and I like value for money, but there are some scary reviews I read, especially during my intern days when I wanted to keep the costs low, which made me say, okay, no, I'm definitely not staying there. Right. That's an example of why the story is, is powerful, because although the hotel had a map and it had a price right. and it had a star rating, mm -hmm. that wasn't enough to make the argument. And what really made the argument with your boss is someone like me stayed here and here's what they said. Correct. And, and they immediately were able to latch onto that story, which they didn't get from the basic picture and star rating of the hotel. It just shows that Absolutely. the story gives additional information. It's more powerful as a way of persuasion than raw data. Absolutely. Absolutely. But... James, I must say, people like stories, right? My, you know, we all love stories. Children, we are hardwired as kids to learn stories, to enjoy stories. Mm -hmm. But speaking of making a storyteller out of everyone, everyone likes to talk. I know I like to talk. I have a podcast, James. But that's the easy part. What is it that actually makes a story? What are the ingredients of a story? Okay, so... So there are a couple of things. First of all, the, if you want to become a storyteller, there are some different skills that you need to learn. And I sort of break this into, into three things, and maybe you know, we can get to each of these. So one is you need to be uh, a miner. You need to actually find them, um, mm -hmm. either by, by reflecting on your own life, if they're stories about yourself, or by understanding your customers and what they're doing. Um, so you have to actually go out and dig for the gold. Okay? You've got to actually find these. Get your pick out and ask customers, ask employees, Ask partners, you know, what is it that our customers are doing and what value are they getting from the good or service that I sell? So that's the first thing. The second thing is often overlooked, what I call the refinery. So you need to have a way of taking a raw story and making it more tellable. 
and I'll talk about it a little, a little later on, I think, but just repeating exactly what someone said to you may not be enough. You may need to enhance it, you know, cut it down, add some personal color, make it more humorous, give it a bit of background, different ways such that it becomes a bit more of a way of telling the story. And then finally, is that there is a performance aspect to it. Okay, so you do have to actually, you know, whether you're writing a blog or doing a video or doing a podcast or in front of people, uh, you know, we can all learn from performance, uh, getting better at that skill as well. So those are the three things I talk about, actually. So the, the mining, the refining and the performing. The mining, the refining and the performing. So that is quite the tool of tool bag to have with us. But also what something I got was that we have to make it relatable to okay. say, if we're talking to a customer, right? We utilize the customer stories. We utilize them as proof points during a customer engagement, just like when we shop based off of a friend's recommendation, right? Right. And so the thing is, we don't always have the best customer story. So if I'm speaking to a university in Australia, I probably don't have another story of a university in Australia. It may have another university, perhaps in the US, or it may have another Australian company, but they're a retailer. So I have to make that story relevant. So well, my retail story, how can I make that relevant? Well, I draw out the themes that are relevant and I, I um, play down the things that, that are different. So I try to get the relevancy so the customer can see, oh, that is kind of like me. In the same way right. that when you looked at your trip advisor, it may well be that the person who made that review was a 75-year-old woman. Nothing like you. But that's actually not relevant because the things that are important, she was in a hurry, she had a limited budget, she was concerned about her safety, she had a big bag to carry. Those are things that are like you. And so right. that you were able to think, well, although that, you know, her age is different or whatever, the things that are important uh, are, are the same and therefore this story is relevant to me. So when telling a customer story, you want to draw on the things that are similar uh, and you know things that are different or don't part of the story. Don't don't need to mention those. So you know you said there are, are pathways. There are some similar themes which one we can take from one side, go on to the other. And James, when we had previously spoken, you said that most stories, or rather all stories, are basically the same. Ah, okay. So what is that all about? How can that be? Well, it it is actually true. If you analyze, you know, uh, anthropology or human culture or mythology, uh, you do actually end up with the same themes being repeated over and over again. And so a very common story is this concept of the hero's journey, um, where, and this is based on a book called uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces by a chap called Joseph Campbell. I, I don't suggest that you read it because it's very heavy going. But what is interesting, again, the story about the book is, so who did read this book, James? Now you're telling me it's so boring. Well, let me tell you, a guy called George Lucas read it. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And he read it, and he actually redrafted the very first Star Wars after reading this book. And he then aligned his very first story about Star Wars uh, to be very much in this concept of the hero of a thousand faces, which is the same as many mythological stories, the story I know of Jason and the Argonauts, the story of Hercules, Abraham in the Bible, Hamlet, they all have the same themes. And it's sort of, he rewrote uh, episode one, now called episode four, the New Hope one anyway, um, to have this structure. And so it's almost uncanny when you read this book, which talks about you know, gods and myths, and you actually see, oh, that's kind of like Star Wars. Yes. Um, and so let me tell you a little bit about what the structure is. And in your mind, if you can keep two things in your mind, think about Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, and you'll see that they have a similar thing. So 
Um, so first of all, there is a protagonist. Okay, so there's a hero. So in 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 Star Wars, that would be Luke Skywalker, and in Lord of the Rings, that would be Frodo. Right? right, and everything is happy. I call this life in the Shire. Everything is good. Remember the first twenty minutes of Lord of the Rings? Oh, I'm having a party, and it's all good, and everything's great. Um, and everything's pretty okay with Luke and his, his with his mother and all that stuff. But then something sudden, something bad happens, and he's moved into an area where he's not familiar. Right. So things are bad in their life, right? And then he typically meets a mentor, uh, which of course you know would be uh, Obi Wan Kenobi in Star Wars and in uh, Lord of the Rings. It would be it'd be Gandalf, right? It so, was. Yeah, thou shall not pass. Then, exactly. And then typically there has a special power. And then, then they often assemble a team, which is, again, true in both stories. Um, mm-hmm. And they overcome several obstacles, uh, which is, uh, tends to be the longer part of the film. And in each obstacle, they learn more about themselves and they, they go through a change and they develop as a character and they reveal flaws in each other. And there's typically three or four of these in, in, in a feature-length film. And then right. at the end, there's a final denouement. Uh, which, you know, destroying the Death Star or destroying the ring, very similar. And then they come home and they're a hero, right? And he gets the girl and he gets the medals and he, whatever, right? So many stories have this. So that's a long way of explaining, actually, that this idea of the hero's journey is everything is good and suddenly it's not. And now you have a real problem. You need to find a way out with a magic power, overcome the problem, and you'll come back to hero. And so that's sort of a cut price version. And surprisingly, you can tell those types of stories in business. And those wow. are the ones that... So, James, I mean, when you were explaining all of that, my brain kept going to Baby Yoda. I'm a big Baby Yoda fan. So I was thinking, is Mando the hero in that journey? Is Baby Yoda the hero? Maybe they both are, but I'll keep thinking on that. But, James, when you were saying that, I grew up on Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Enid Blyton okay. Box, Disney, yep. all of that, right? So I really do see what you're saying. I see the themes which were repeating themselves. So I mean, Lion King is a good example. If you're a Disney fan, Lion King is very much the same thing, right? Everything is good. Yes. You know, on the rock, suddenly the father dies. He's sent out into the wilderness uh, right. where he meets the you know, heroes, Puma and Timon, Timon tell him not to worry. He comes back, <laughs> the hero, he gets the girl and everyone's happy again. So Absolutely. Yeah. And you said that this can be utilized in business as well. Now, and yeah. you're talking about not Timon and Pumbaa. So is no. it really, bringing it in business, is it really Hakuna Matata simple? Well, it, so it can be. So again, go back to my uh, you know, minor refiner concept. So you've got to have some stories to start with, but then how do you refine a story? So you try to, in the same way you refine gold, you mm. get rid of the impurities, first of all, you melt it down, then you recast it into something beautiful, something useful. Right? So you know, like my, my gold wedding ring here. So. Ooh. You know, when it came out of the earth, it was all dirty and covered in ore and loads of impurities, right? And so the same is true to some extent. When you hear somebody tell a story, you need to refine it. So, so one useful technique is this, this great phrase, which is imagine if. And so you don't always know the background of a customer situation. But when you say imagine if, so rather than hearing about something, you say something like, imagine if you were the facilities manager at an oil platform, okay? And, and this happened. Um, so... You know, I don't have that very first part, but there would have been someone in that role right. uh, for sure. And so I, am, and I, I now say, imagine what it's so the, the example here. I have one of our customers uh, in the uh, Gulf of, um, uh, off, off the coast of Nigeria uh, had a, a terrorist attack on their oil platform. Um, mm. And they didn't know who was, who was on, but they have a fuel glass. So that all of their contractors are logged. Okay. So that's the story as I heard it. 
But then I refined it by saying, imagine you're the person in charge of the oil platform. And this is that life in the Shire. Life's pretty good. It's great. It's only part of the world. You're on expat salary. Not much happens day to day. It's pretty simple. Check people in, check people out. No, pretty good. Suddenly, something happens, right? Terrorists attack your oil platform. That's not good. But then now here's the emotional part, which again, I use a phrase someone told to me, is that there were crying mothers hmm. on the phone saying, is my son on the platform? Wow. And there wasn't a list of employees because in the oil platform world, you don't, you, there's all subcontractors. So they don't, they don't work for Shell or BP. They tend to work for Baker Hughes or Halliburton or subcontractors. So if you don't have a system where you're tracking in and out who the subcontractors are, who's actually on the platform that day, then you've got crying mothers on the phone saying, mm. is my son on the platform? Now, in this example, they did. They used SAP Field Glass. So every contractor was logged in and logged out and knew who they all were, you know, for contact details for all of them. So they were able to, at the end of the day, say, you know, who's on the platform? And you know, no one, no one, in fact, no one was hurt. So, um, I, you know, that, that expression, you know, crying mothers on the phone, you know, someone's father, someone's son, are additionally emotionally charged words that I inserted into the story. Actually, it's not, that's not true. Someone who told it to me did use that phrase. And mm. I, I use it every time I sell it now um, because it, it brings the fact that you know, I sell the world of enterprise software. It, 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 that sounds like a currency. That sounds a bit boring. No, it's no. not boring. Imagine not. this happened to you. And right. so there are crying mothers on the phone, but because of this software, you're able to be sure that everyone is safe that day. Absolutely. Um, and when you were saying that, first of all, then, you know, that's such a, that example immediately makes an emotional connection. So the, there's a presence of pathos right there. But on top of that, it reminded me of my, Pre-sales Academy experience, that's where I come from. That's how I came to SAP, uh, James. And one of the things we were also highly encouraged to do, pretty much what you said, that yes, sure, you can say, yeah, you're selling software, but it's so much more than that. It is all about the solution. It's all about the benefit. And to always tie it back to what are the challenges? What are the goals? What value are you bringing to the table? And that right there is the hero's journey. Okay, these challenges exist. How can you help them? So, so be able to think about, the, oftentimes, it, it, although, you know, people work for big companies, by making it personal, you make it more relatable. Um, so this phrase, imagine if, is a, is a good one to say, uh, although the, you know, the company saved, you know, whatever it was, imagine you're responsible at the end of the year for having to explain to the chairman, you know, why we've ever spent on a budget. All right. Do you want to imagine that's you? I don't know. So, so <laughs> this idea that. I, I once uh, impressed on uh, a drug firm how important accounts payable was. I said, well, accounts payable, that's not very important. Let me explain. You run clinical trials and you have lots of doctors on those. And some of the doctors are quite hard to get because it's a very specialized trial you're running. And they're, they're busy people. And quite frankly, they don't necessarily want to do your clinical trial. And they don't want to do it if it's a hassle. And if you're going to pay them late, they might think, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. And suddenly you've lost some of these critical doctors from your clinical trial. And that could put your drugs pipeline at risk. Imagine now that Mr. Counts Payable needs to go to the top floor to the chief researcher and say, I'm terribly sorry, but our, our drug that's in stage two trials is going to be six months late because a lot of our doctors have quit because we haven't paid them on time. You want to have that conversation? No, you don't. Mm -mm. So accounts payable can be strategic. So I've, I, that's a story, that, again, was told to me about the importance of, of paying people on time in the clinical trials business. Definitely. Now, 
That was very, very insightful, James. But at SAP Experts Podcast, we also like to challenge our listeners, right? And we do this so that we can foster growth mindset. So on that note, I would also like to challenge our audience members, our listeners, especially those ones who say, well, I do not have the gift of the gab. I'm shy. I don't want to tell stories. Or perhaps there is the other side of detractors who might say, listen, I speak fact-based. Or my audience, uh, I'm talking to a CFO. He wants to see numbers. He would never mm-hmm. care. So we went through the minor refiner performer. But So how can we challenge these audience members who might be detractors or who might be shy, saying we don't have the gift of the gap, how can we help them come out of that? So I don't think storytelling is, is about the gift of the gap, right? It's about making human connections with people. And mm. I think you know, most people, even though they aren't, you know, who might be introverted, for instance, still have you know, deep connections to their own children or their own parents. And so storytelling is really about emotional connections to people. Um, so uh, and then some, so some people say they're, they're numbers people, and that, that is true. In fact, I always think there are three ways to make an argument. And you mentioned pathos earlier, and I actually use the Greek words for this. So in, I use actually the body parts. So if you're making an argument to someone, you first of all, yes, you need numbers. That's the brain. Yeah, you, you don't get away from numbers. If you're going to buy a new car, what's the, electric, what's the range of the electric battery? You need to know that. You know, what's the top speed or you know, what's the number of people it can have? That's fine. But also there is the the human part as well. You know, how is it going to affect me? Okay, so in the business, what does it mean to me or my team? Am I going to get a promotion? Am I going to get fired? Mm-hmm. What have other people done who have this? All right, how's my team going to feel? How's my customers going to feel? And so that's very much a, a feeling. Now, you don't necessarily have to, you know, with a, with a crunchy old CFO, you don't necessarily want to, to explicitly say that, but there is part of that. So one way you might say is, um, so you do track your SGNA expenses as a percent of revenue, do you? Yes, I see that you're at 9%. That's actually quite high hmm. for a CFO in your business. And that's really an emotional gesture. He's thinking when he goes to the next big CFO conference, he's going to be in the bottom table. Right? That's, he's not doing well. Right. And so and that's a personal thing. That's a reflection on him and his company. Now, you would never cast it as that. But even a benchmark, which sounds like a number, is really affecting someone at a personal level. Um, so that's, that's the head and the heart, but well, what's the third one? The third one is the gut. Okay. Yes. Is there a big, a big message here? Otherwise, you can sound kind of small-minded. And oftentimes in our business, we're asking people to do hard things, you know, transform their business, implement some complicated software, uh, make some kind of other transformation. Um, and so they want to have a big picture to latch onto. I like, uh, so what's the, what's the big picture here? So I always think that if you're doing a, a presentation, you should try to score in all three areas. Um, so in the head, and that's called logos in the heart. And that's called ethos. And you said earlier in the gut, that's called pathos. So Absolutely. another way to think about it. So when I'm, doing, when I'm looking at, you know, slide decks or presentations, I try to see, are we getting you know, in all these three areas? Otherwise, we sound either small-minded or woolly or cold. Um, so mm-hmm. having all three, I think, is effective. Absolutely. So, yes, listeners, you heard it from James. We should be working towards checking all the three areas, the heart, the head, and the gut get the butterflies in the gut, excite your customers or any audience really. And on that note, I think I would like to challenge our audiences even further, James, because one of the things I once read was the data processing center of our brain is the prefrontal cortex right here. I'm pointing at my forehead to my listeners who can't see me. And that is something very interesting about that part of our brain. It gets tired very easily. So yes, we love numbers. Of course we do, but it also gets tired. I might be distracted. I might be Facebooking. I might be looking elsewhere. I might have had a long flight. 
So you might have already lost me, but stories, the beauty of stories, they illuminate the entire brain. They engage all of our brain. And that's how you can be memorable. The data would be forgotten. They end up in the notes somewhere, but the story you tell, the emotional connection you make, that is going to remain for a very, very long time. Right, James? Yes. I mean, uh, I think there's a lot of talk about, uh, at some point, always, people always talk about amino acids in the brain. And they say, oh, well, that's <laughs> then, you know, you know, whatever it is, dopamine or whatever it is. I can't yes. remember. I mean, yes, you can, there are a lot of books about this as well. I, I'm, I'm not a biochemist. I don't know how all that works. But I mean, all I do is I base on my own experiences of how mm. to get people's attention, how to attain attention. And so stories get, so when they get to our stories is they get passed around. So, you know, in Western culture, you know, all kids are told, you know, the story of the boy who cried wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, a, a, you know, because you're nodding, so you obviously know this story as well. Yes. Uh, and the story, so if I, if I start, uh, this little shepherd's boy, uh, he was out and he used to cry wolf, wolf, and all the neighbors would come and they would say, hey, where's the wolf? Ah, I was just joking. Until <laughs> one day, what there happened? There was a wolf. There was, was a wolf. real wolf. What happened then? <laughs> Nobody came. And so, children, that's why we don't lie. And so... Did you read that story from a book? No. No. Did you get it written down somewhere off a blog? No. My guess is probably you got it at school or some elderly relative told you the story. And Absolutely. also, as I work with different cultures, they say, James, in Korean, we don't have it quite that way, but here's how we tell it. And so, mm-hmm. and so this, this, this deep truth, the deep truth is, hey, kids, don't lie, which you could just tell them that. <laughs> um, we don't do that, right? We tell no. a story of the boy who cried wolf. Now, is, is, the, is the story true? No, it's not true, but it has truths. And this is the subtle part, right? So right. this question, some people get obsessed about, well, is the story true? Well, I mean, I, the, the truth is that we shouldn't lie. And that's the truth of the story. Uh, in the same way from the Bible, the story of the good Samaritan, was there actually a Samaritan who went from Jerusalem to Jericho? I mean, probably not, but the truth is, who is my neighbor? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, um, th- and that, these stories, you know, Good Samaritan and the Boy Who Cried Wolf, you know, they're both thousands of years old and been passed around in all sorts of ways, hand to mouth, culture, paintings, Absolutely. whatever. Um, and, you know, the deep truths of don't lie and who is my neighbor are expressed, you know, by these stories and they get retold. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's because they, they have the structure of the story. Um, they have a sort of a, the, 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 the narrative works and the, the logic are quite short um, and they can be retold in different ways. Um, and so they have this retelling. And that's can be true. the great thing is, actually, it's also true for customer stories if they're well told. So if I tell you a customer story like the oil uh, field one with Chevron and fuel glass, now, hopefully, when you tell it, you won't put up a slide. You'll say, let me tell you, imagine if crying mothers, no one was hurt. There's fuel. Yes. So you'll tell it in the same way. Now, I actually have data point for this because I did a story several years ago and I told it in a customer meeting. So I want to tell a lot. I'm not going to go through it now. But anyway, um, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor uh, for the business network. I've used it lots of times. Um, anyway, I told it. Uh, I didn't tell it. I tell it a lot. Didn't think much of it. Um, but then uh, I heard like six months later that my metaphor, my story had been told in a meeting I wasn't at. In fact, no one from my company was at. Um, and that's the real power of storytelling, right? Is that your truth gets to be in meetings that you're not in, right? You get to be in the locked doors, in the closed rooms. Uh, you know, the, 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 um, the show Hamilton, you've seen that? 
Oh, yes, I have. Well, you'll know that there's a song. You've got to be in the room where it happens. Yes. Uh, and unfortunately for salespeople, you're generally not in the room where it happens because after mm. the customer asking his boss for, for the project, you're not there. Right. Uh, probably your slide deck isn't going to make it. Your complicated mm-hmm. business case isn't going to make it. But if you, a well-told story might make it. Um, and so this is real power that the truth that you impart gets to be in that closed room uh, because of the, the transmittability of the story. And I don't have to worry about you not telling it right. I don't right. have to worry that you might fluff the punchline of the boy who cried wolf. <laughs> it's like, you don't have to remember, like, like remembering a play script, right? You just have right. to get understand. And you can retell it in your own way. You can tell it in Korean with a different kind of a creature if you want. I don't care. But this, the truth is the same. Uh, no, absolutely. When you said the truth is the same, um, we should be going towards, okay, what are, are you trying to convey? I think that is the most important to capture the meat of it. Sometimes people do get lost in the weeds, especially when sharing yeah. one customer proof point with the other. And they're saying, was it this many K? Was it that many K profit revenue? Yeah. It's fine. You're getting too much in the weeds. And sometimes when folks do obsess over the numbers, they can actually make you look worse because you might end up in front of a company whose entire net worth is the other company's revenue. And they might say, you're not being relatable to me. How, why do I care? Or you might end up telling a group of accountants that, okay, you could be saving $3 million. And now they're thinking, okay, you're working me out of a job. I don't care. Yeah, correct. So yes, you have to understand who your audience is and look at the meat, right? Yeah, that's, that's uh, certainly true. Let me give you an example of how we do these metaphors. So, so in, in, in software, we sell, a, you know, at SAP, we're known for a suite of software. And so we often say things like, you kind of have to have, you know, you need all the components, otherwise it doesn't work. Um, so whatever, whatever part you're talking about, you may say you have a complicated, or sorry, you have a full-scale implementation, but if you don't focus on uh, security management, it's just not going to work. And you think, well, that's a kind of a weird thing. I never thought about it. <laughs> and so I think, okay, well, let me, let me give you an example. So I could ask you actually, so actually, do you do, you do cooking? Oh, uh, I, you, I, you, I don't cook actually. <laughs> don't? Okay, well, never mind. Let me try again. Uh, what about a jigsaw puzzle? You ever done a jigsaw puzzle? Oh, many. Uh, As a kid, I was obsessed. Okay, let me tell you, have you ever done a jigsaw puzzle where there was a piece missing at the end? Oh, yes, absolutely. In fact, like I said, as a child, I was super obsessed. And I think I was around eight, nine or 10, around that age when I had graduated from baby puzzles. And now my dad had got me this thousand puzzle. Thousand pieces. Ah, but there weren't a thousand pieces, were there? There weren't. And I couldn't finish my villa by the lake picture. And I'm still slightly upset about that. (laughs) Right. So although it looked like everything was there, and the picture on the box and everything was there. When you actually dug in the pieces, there were a few missing mm-hmm. and you couldn't complete it. And it, there was no satisfaction. And basically, the puzzle didn't work. And you were fed up. And you're still, years later, still resentful. And that's <laughs> what I'm saying about this security management part of an implementation. It seems like it's not important. It's like, but turns out if it's not there, right, you can't mm-hmm. actually build what you need and you'll be resenting it for years. So that's an example of a simple idea, which is, you know, the smallest thing is important. So- so that's the example of the truth. I mean, I tell the example there for software, but you can tell it in lots of different ways. But sometimes I've done this in my class. People, I, they say, oh, I do do cooking. Let me tell you the time I made my mother, mother's jalapeno recipe and I forgot to put the salt in. It was terrible. Uh-huh. No one liked it. <laughs> it's the same truth, but it's told differently. Absolutely. And by telling it as your own personal story, hmm. right? So now you told me and your eyes lit up because we're on video here. And yes. when, I, when you thought about what it was like as an eight-year-old to do this puzzle and the disappointment 
when there were pictures missing. And you actually have emotions in you right now that maybe still yes. think about where you were, right. the parents you were with and what the picture was. And so you mentioned it was a villa by the lake. You actually recall that just by doing it. And those emotions are now tied to this rather arcane things like, wow, I don't do that security manager thing that he talked about. I don't right. feel the same way. I don't mm-hmm. want to feel like that because it's not nice. And so subtly, this, what seems to be rather small thing now in your mind is actually important. Same way with the salt missing from your mother's jalapeno recipe. Um, so the idea that by making, and I never try to tell people, here's how I tell the story. Right. I always ask people, tell me a story from your past. And there's lots of ways to do this. I did one recently, another time where someone talked about an Ikea bookcase where there was a couple of pieces missing. Oh my God. And, and she said, well, it, and she turned the camera around. I said, well, as you can see, it's up, but it's, it's a bit wobbly, <laughs> which was great, right? So exactly, you don't have this little piece of software. The system will run, but you know what? It'll be a bit wobbly mm-hmm. and it'll never feel quite right. Um, so Beautiful. again, and that was a brand new way. I'd never heard of the, that concept being told in the same way. So again, the truth that, you know, this small piece is really important is told through the missing jigsaw puzzle, the missing salt from the recipe, or the missing screws from the bookcase. And the Absolutely. idea is if you you find them in your own story, your own way to tell them, then you, it's much more powerful. So don't, don't, this is where you don't copy James, don't copy Akshi, right? Look at your no. own experience to tell these simple metaphors. Right. And all of these examples you mentioned, they were all relatable because even though I don't cook James, I don't want food without salt in it. So absolutely, it's very, very important to be relatable. So James, this has been a very, very insightful session today. And I'm sure our audience learned a lot and now they will be becoming better storytellers. I know I will. So any parting words for our listeners from your side and also where can our listeners follow you and learn more? Okay. So, so a couple of sort of final thoughts really so, so to recast what you're saying in the model of a story, whether it's a simple metaphor, like I just told, or the more advanced hero's journey, and they're, mm. they're both used in slightly different ways. To have a structure that's, that then can be understood and retold is, is what's important. That's how you get in the room where it happens. Um, and then people crave human connections. Um, and they understand human emotions more, perhaps, than raw data. So have you ever been on a, on a jury, actually? On a jury? Yeah. No, I haven't. Okay. Well, I have. Um, and just once. And... You know, it's, it's actually pretty boring a lot of the time, a lot of sitting around, not much happening. But then you do get in the courtroom and then, you know, all these, mm. because in, in, in England, they wear these weird, weird wigs and they're also kind of all dressed up and everything. So wow. it all seems pretty serious stuff. And then they go through a whole bunch of technical presentations and, you know, about it was on some DNA and there was this, you know, data and there were graphs and this and that. And there were different experts. And it was like, yeah, it's in the afternoon, it's in the summer. It's like, try hard to follow along. Yeah, I'm a good citizen. Trying to, trying to, everyone was trying to keep up. Okay, well, we think I understood that. But then towards the end of the trial, yeah, there was opportunity for a personal statement, which is done in certain situations. And uh, the, the mother of the defendant came on. And that was, whoa, that was different. Well, so and suddenly your, your way of thinking about the defendant is completely different. And so the character witness is so different from the expert witness. Um, mm. And although even, or you're also you're trying to fight it because, hang on, I'm supposed to be doing all facts here. And this yeah. is supposed to be part of it. 
Um, I want to be unbiased, but can I be unbiased? That's what what the oath says. Um, But even then, it is uh, very difficult to not listen to the human side of the story. And so it turns out that, you know, the the human side is can be way more persuasive than the Mm. days of data. Um, And so when we're telling, you know, communicating to our customers, data is important. That's for sure. You know, the, the, the logos ethos pathos, you do need to have you know, data, but at the same time, if it's out of context of human emotions, either it's not remembered or it's not understood or worse, or the, it's not retold. Um, and therefore it doesn't get into that meeting behind the closed doors that you're not in. You don't get into the, the room where it happens. Absolutely. And so where can our listeners find more stories from you? Where, where can we follow you? Well, so I'm on Twitter. So I've just, uh, I'm on Twitter quite a lot. So uh, at James Marlins on Twitter, uh, likewise on LinkedIn. Um, and if you're an SAP employee, um, then you'll see me doing storytelling classes as well. So. Wonderful. And for our listeners, I would be linking his socials down in the description of this podcast. So with that, thank you so much for joining us, James. I really, really appreciate all of your stories. Thank you. Okay, great, actually. Bye-bye.